going, Longhorn Nation? Welcome to Texas Talk, your one-stop shop for everything involving Texas Longhorns football. I'm your host, Ryan McLoon, and we are recording on Wednesday, September 6th. And today we will be recapping Texas's week one game against Rice, and then looking ahead to Alabama in the Crimson Tide for week two's matchup. Before we get into it, though, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you're listening. Also, almost more importantly, tell your friends and family about us. It is the best way to grow this. After that, make sure to check out our website, texas-talk.com. On the website, you'll be able to find the Longhorns' updated roster, depth chart, the 2023 recruiting class, transfer portal additions and departures, any trending news, plus our analysis on the team. So be sure to check that out. The link to the website will be in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it and talk about my week one game notes. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. It's definitely the one that we got to talk about the most. Uh, And let's start with a general stat here, and that's Texas ranked 72nd overall uh, in week one on the offensive side of the ball, according to Pro Football Focus. That's 72nd out of 131 teams. So pretty rough stat there. They're average to below average. Not what you want to see when you're going up against Rice. You know, I know Rice is better than they have been in the past. and It was a pretty veteran unit for Rice, but still not what you want to see if you're Texas and if you're really Steve Sarkeesian. Now let's talk about Quinn Ewers. Let's talk about the bad before we get into the good because there is good with Quinn Ewers. I know a lot of fans are frustrated with the bad things that Quinn Ewers brings, but he brings so much good to this offense still. And Texas is going to be able to win with just what Quinn Ewers is good at right now. Um, That's not even including if he can get better at these main things. And the first thing is, Quinn Ewers and his pocket presence, just being able to navigate a pocket in a calm and orderly fashion is something that he needs to improve on because way too often did I see Quinn Ewers leaving either a perfectly clean pocket or stepping up into pressure into a sack basically and kind of just leaving his offensive line out to dry. Something else I saw a lot of Um, is him not being able to really extend plays and still kind of keep his head downfield and deliver an accurate throw. His accuracy under pressure um, and on the move was just not really there in week one. We saw that in the first series when he was trying to hit Jatavion Sanders on that fourth down play. He basically threw it at Sanders' shoelaces, not even giving him a chance to make a play and get that first down. So I know that pressure was in his face and it's a really tough play, but the elite quarterbacks make that play. And if Quinn Ewers wants to be an elite quarterback, he's going to have to get there. The only other thing that I thought that he really needs to improve on is his deep ball accuracy. He worked on it all off season. That's all we heard. And I know that he can do it. He has a golden arm. He is one of the best arms in college football, but 
just being accurate with the ball and his ball placement is still incredibly lacking in my opinion. He just cannot hit a deep go route in stride. Um, Something he does do well with the deep ball though, is he misses short. If you're missing long, if you're missing your receiver five or 10 yards down the field, you're not even giving that receiver a chance to make a play and you're really not giving your offense a chance at making a play. You might as well just throw it to the coach's bench at that point. If you're missing short, though, which is what Quinn Ewers has been doing and did a lot in week one, you're doing three things, and two of them are good. You're, one, giving your receiver a chance at making a play on the football. Two, you're giving your offense a chance at drawing defensive pass interference if that defender does not get his head around looking for the football it's going to be an easy pass interference call easy 15 yard penalty and a first down every single time so the only bad thing that could happen is if that defensive back does get his head turned around and that defensive back makes a play on the ball but in that instance your receiver should be able to play defense at that point and he should be able to break up any sort of interception um, that could happen. So in my opinion, Quinn Ewers is doing a good job with that. At least that deep ball can still be kind of used uh, in the offense. You don't have to completely abandon it, even though I do think Steve Sarkeesian used it a little bit too much in week one. I think he's got to tone that down a little bit in Alabama uh, for week two if when you shows that he still kind of isn't there yet with the deep ball accuracy. Now, let's talk a little bit about these running backs. I mean, the killer bees looked incredible. That's Cedric Baxter, Jonathan Brooks, and Jadon Blue. All three of them looked explosive. They looked kind of consistent as well, just being able to make something out of nothing, almost like we did with we saw with Bijan and Roshan last year. I mean, obviously those guys did it at a much higher level uh, as of right now, but still those three guys all played incredibly well. Baxter's only bad run was an absolutely blown up play on a toss play. But other than that, all three of them played really well. They all looked like they ran incredibly hard. Um, My biggest con right now, is Jonathan Brooks, and one, he had a bad drop. That's I'm not going to hold that against him. He's shown that he can catch the ball, so I'm not going to totally hold that one against him, but he did drop a walk-in touchdown in week one. Also, Brooks, though, looked pretty bad in pass protection. Um, he made one good pass pro play, but other than that, he really, really struggled, and between him and the interior offensive line with uh, Hayden Connor, DJ Campbell, and Jake Majors, they really struggled to keep keep Quinn Ewers clean um, when there were stunts and late blitzers coming up the middle. That's something that Texas absolutely cannot go into week two without addressing because Alabama absolutely saw what happened in week one. And that's something that Alabama can do and do it 10 times better than Rice did. Um, The two bookend 
tackles looked incredible again. Kelvin Banks and Christian Jones. Kelvin Banks did surrender a sack, but I rewatched the play again. And honestly, I think that it was kind of Hayden Connor's fault or it was Jake Major's fault. Um, the reason is, is Kelvin Banks was on an island one-on-one. He should win that matchup anyways, just because of who he is as a player. But the other four offensive linemen were kind of blocking two defensive linemen for Rice. And if you're doing a full slide to that side and you're only getting two rushers, I think it's a really bad call. And that's why I think it might have been on Jake Majors or it was on Hayden Connor and he was not supposed to slide in that instance. And he was supposed to be providing Kelvin Banks with some additional support. I'm not going to pretend like I know what the call was, but just from looking at it, it kind of looked like that Kelvin Banks thought that he had Hayden Connor behind him and he kind of not passed him off. But as soon as he was beat, he was fine with it. He thought that Hayden Connor was going to pick him up. And obviously that is not what happened. So definitely something to monitor there. Um, The good news is that all of these things are things that can be corrected. Now, can they be corrected in one week's time for Alabama? That I don't know. Um, That is going to be kind of Kyle Flood and what he can get through to this offensive line. But overall, these are things that the offense should get better on. And by the time we get to the Oklahoma game, there should be no excuses at that point. So week two against Alabama, I think is still going to be rough for this offensive line. They absolutely disappointed me. I thought that this was going to be a really strong unit, a unit that had an outside chance at a Joe Moore award. Obviously I didn't think that there were any sort of favorites to, to win that Joe Moore award for the best offensive line in the country. But I thought that they had an outside chance just because of, the combination of incredible talent with your five stars and high four stars and your experience as well with Hayden Connor. Jake Majors has incredible experience. Christian Jones, kind of the same thing. And I just don't think we're going to see that. I think Jake Majors is pretty underwhelming at this point. I thought maybe he would continue to take steps forward. And I just haven't seen that. He's still the leader of this offensive line. And I don't think that anybody is going to challenge him for that starting center spot, but he just hasn't really improved from his junior season. So kind of interesting to see how Steve Sarkeesian is going to help this interior offensive line heading into Alabama. We'll get into that later, but as of right now, let's move on to the pass catchers. And that is, Xavier Worthy kind of going back to the old him, being absolutely dynamic, incredible. Steve Sarkeesian got the ball in his hands at the short routes, the intermediate routes, the screen game. Xavier Worthy was kind of back to his freshman self, in my opinion, and that was absolutely exciting to see. Jordan Whittington got a couple targets early in the game. He kind of made the most of them. There was a couple screen plays where he didn't get anything going and I kind of blame that on the next receiver we're, we'll talk about here, A.D. Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell's blocking was atrocious in week one. 
that's something that needs to get cleaned up if Steve Sarkeesian is going to continue to use wide receiver screens consistently. You can't have A.D. Mitchell whiffing on a cornerback. And that cornerback made an incredible play on the ball, definitely. But A.D. Mitchell should should be able to get a hand on him um, and just divert him from making that tackle on Jordan Whittington. Even if it's one hand and he pushes him off the trajectory a little bit, Whittington's a great athlete. And I just feel like he would have been able to make the guy miss if given the opportunity, but either way, A.D. Mitchell is going to have to get better at that. Another play that it was between A.D. Mitchell and Gunnar Helm, one of the two of them completely missed their blocking assignment and let the edge rusher through for a fourth down stop again um, in for Rice. And uh, I'm not sure if it was Gunnar Helm or A.D. Mitchell's fault, but either way, neither of them blocked this Rice defender. And I'm sure if you guys watch the game or re-watch the game, you know exactly which play I'm talking about. Uh, the broadcast actually brought it up themselves. So either way, I'm, I'm not sure who it is, but I do know that A.D. Mitchell had a couple times as a blocker where he just wasn't very good. And it's a shame to see because – Whittington is actually one of the best wide receiver blockers that I've seen in college football. So I hope that Eden Mitchell kind of works on that a little bit and hopefully he gets the favor returned to him. And if A.D. Mitchell is ever the screen guy uh, for Texas, that Whittington is able to kind of be that, that incredible blocker for A.D. Mitchell. So that's another thing that this offense can kind of work on a little bit Will it get corrected by week two? That kind of remains to be seen, but that's kind of all I have for the offense. Overall, our bookend tackles looked really good. Kelvin Banks and uh, Christian Jones were incredible. The interior offensive line had its struggles. DJ Campbell actually went out with an injury, and it's definitely worthy to note that Nito Umiazulu came in at left guard, and then Hayden Connor moved over to right guard, which is honestly kind of what I thought would happen. I've been saying it all offseason that Nito Umiazulu is our best offensive lineman on the bench right now. He's our sixth offensive lineman, undoubtedly. So having him come in there, um, he played all right, but definitely not as impressive as I was hoping for either. So overall, this Texas interior offensive line didn't see a whole lot of good things, but overall, I feel like this offense can still do good things. And that starts with the RPO game, the quick game, and the intermediate game where Quinn Ewers excels. And then in the running game, like I said, the interior line was a little bit better in the running game, but they still struggled a little bit there. But these running backs still kind of made plays themselves. So really good to see there. Sorry for the dead air, folks. Just need a swig of water. Let's talk about the defense, and this is where I get excited. Another general note here is it was the second-ranked defense in Week 1, according to Pro Football Focus, and that's, again, out of 131 teams. So, as you can imagine, this defense was electric, absolutely dominating Rice, as it should have. Uh, let's talk about the bad first, though. 
and that is David Benda really, really struggling in pass coverage. He just was consistently um, either out of place or just slow to his man, but consistently he he was leaving his man open in coverage. That is honestly really the only bad note that I have about this Texas defense. Other than that, it is all good. I mean, the front four typically was able to handle the run game by themselves, which in Pete Kwiatkowski's dream is exactly what he wants. He wants the front to worry about the run game while the back worries about the pass game. And if you're able to do that, Jalen Ford can make plays in the passing game first and in the running game second, which is kind of incredibly ideal. So overall, Jalen Ford did make plays in the passing game. He is still one of the best coverage linebackers in the country. Interception on a really, um, he broke late to uh, a hook uh, coverage and made one-handed interception, incredible, incredible play. Um, and overall, I mean, this front and linebackers played really well aside from Benda in the passing game. Anthony Hill got some run in, not as much as I'd like, but it was also a heavy rotation on this defense. We saw 28 players have at least 10 snaps uh, for Texas. And that's out of a possible 52 snaps. So Rice didn't even run a whole lot of plays. And we still saw Texas defenders consistently rolling in and out of the game. Uh, only other real, real note I have on the defense is Jody Barron continues to be my favorite defensive player. Just absolutely incredible. Um, as an off-ball defender. As soon as he saw the wide receiver break on one of the plays, he breaks the wide receiver and forces an incompletion on the route. That is something that we saw consistently in uh, 2022 season. So Jody Barron obviously has not missed a step. We saw a little bit of Jalen Gilbo. We saw a little bit of Derek Williams, the five-star safety. Um, Terrence Brooks, actually got the start at field corner, but we saw even more of Gavin Holmes than we did any of the other outside cornerbacks. And we saw a little bit of Malik Muhammad as well, the four, high four-star true freshman, and he played really well. Honestly, more than anything, he was, Malik Muhammad this is, he was incredibly uh, physical, which is what Texas needs. If they're, they're, typically in a base nickel defense. So they will have five defensive backs on the field almost at all times. If you're going to do that and you're going to lose a linebacker or a defensive lineman on the field, you need to have physical defensive backs because if you don't, teams are going to be able to run on you with no problem whatsoever. And what I saw from Malik Muhammad, Ryan Watts, uh, and Jade Barron, those guys are all incredibly physical players. They should be strong safeties in an old-time NFL game. But here they are just kind of making this defense go in the back end. So incredibly impressive there. Uh, other names to note, Jalen 
uh, Jalen Catalan, uh, new Texas transfer safety from Arkansas. He played a decent amount yesterday or Saturday, but we didn't really see him uh, make any real plays. I think the biggest thing with the head is him and Jaron Thompson and Keaton Crawford and Derek Williams were all pretty quiet on that front. I think that's just because Rice could not push the ball down the field. Everything Rice did was pretty short, short of the sticks, absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure if they had a pass completion over 10 yards, to be honest with you. So overall, this defense was just incredibly impressive. Just I talked about everything except the edge rushers. Baron Sorrell played pretty well. Ethan Burke actually played incredible. He had his first sack of his career. Justice Finkley and Jamon Tapp also rotated in there a little bit. Um, Neither one of them made incredible plays, but good to see that they're continuing to get reps because, like I said, against Alabama, I'm not sure what is best for this defense, but these edge rushers are going to have to be ready to play because Alabama is starting a true freshman at left tackle. And as we saw with Kelvin Banks, that might not be a bad thing for Alabama, but it could be an area of weakness for them along that offensive line, especially because on the right side, they have a potential first round pick in JC Latham. So definitely something to monitor there, but overall, Really, really excited about this defense. This defense played so well that I think even if the offense continues to rank low uh, throughout the season, if they continue to be unimpressive, the defense might be good enough to kind of carry this this team to a Big 12 championship all by themselves. That is how good I think this defense could be and basically already is. But overall... That's kind of my week one notes. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Alabama and how Texas kind of matches up with them. All right. We are back, Longhorn Nation. And we're talking about Alabama and kind of what we saw week one with Alabama and then how Texas kind of stacks up. And honestly, it all starts with the quarterback for Alabama again. And that we know now is Jalen Milrow, which to be quite honest with you is what I was afraid of. Jalen Milrow is an incredible athlete, just absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. Um, Incredible rusher, obviously, but What he showed in week one is that he could be a really dangerous passer as well, especially with the deep ball. He had three or he had four attempts over 20 yards. He had three completions for 124 yards and three touchdowns. All three throws were beautiful uh, passes. So obviously he showed that he can also kind of stretch the Texas defense you know, vertically as well as horizontally with his legs. And, you know, it wasn't only the deep ball where he was accurate. He was accurate almost everywhere in the field. The only place where he actually graded out poorly is 
in the middle intermediate part of the field, which is 10 to 19 yards. He was over two there, but with such a small sample size and how good he was everywhere else, kind of just ignoring that part of the field for right now until we get a bigger sample size. But overall, Jalen Milrow just showed that he could kind of beat Texas in a multitude of ways. And Pete Kwiatkowski is going to have his hands full and he's going to have to kind of be cautionary of how he attacks uh, Jalen Milrow and what he decides to take away from Milrow. My opinion, the best way this Texas team can stack up against Alabama is stopping the run, obviously, uh, with as little defenders as possible, which is easier said than done. We did it with Rice in week one, but it against Alabama, it's a completely different animal. Alabama's offensive line is one of the best offensive lines that they've had in a really long time, probably the past five years at least, uh, just kind of throwing a number out there. But I know that it was a point of emphasis that Nick Saban wanted to correct because the last couple of years, that offensive line wasn't very good. And I think Texas fans might remember that from last year when we played Alabama. By all accounts, this this offensive line has gotten a lot better, though, and that means that this defensive line is going to have their hands full. Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Alfred Collins, those three guys should be on the field on every single first down because Texas is going to have to stop the run consistently um, up front first. Kind of let, like I mentioned before, Jalen Ford, kind of let him worry about the pass game a little bit more. And David Benda can kind of, again, kind of focus on the running game because that's where he's strong at anyways. Something else to note, though, is maybe Texas brings in Anthony Hill a little bit more often than we saw in week one. And maybe Anthony Hill is able to play that Harold Perkins role that we saw LSU kind of use Harold Perkins as against Florida State. Maybe we see Anthony Hill do that with Jalen Milrow. Now, LSU caught a lot of flack for how they used Harold Perkins because of how dynamic he is as an edge rusher and how they kind of neutralized him themselves by just keeping him in coverage. But it did kind of prevent Jordan Travis from beating LSU with his legs. Just so happens, though, that Jordan Travis still found success through the air with his incredible receivers. For Texas, though, I feel like if they use that same strategy, Alabama doesn't have the kind of receivers that are going to consistently beat Texas's defensive backs. Furthermore, even though I said Jalen Milrow had an incredible week one, it was still a really small sample size, under 20 attempts. Um, he, he had 18 attempts last week, so still a really small sample size. If we kind of put the pressure on him to throw the ball 30 times, I'm not sure that those stats are going to continue to rise um, in a straight line. I feel like that is somewhere where Texas can kind of take advantage. Now, it all starts up front, though, and if this defensive line isn't getting the better of this offensive line, Alabama is still going to be able to run the ball with their running backs. So guys like um, guys like Jace McClellan, obviously we saw last year, he's the one that broke off that 70-yard run. But 
Same with Jam Miller and Justice Haynes, two guys who are way more explosive, a um, little bit smaller backs, but incredibly explosive players. And Texas can't let explosive plays happen against against Alabama. And, you know, that's kind of the biggest hurdle Texas is going to have to face is balancing out, stopping the run, while also stopping Jalen Milrow in the pass game. And like I said, that might mean a lot more of Anthony Hill for Texas and a lot of one-on-one coverage for these Texas DBs, which is something that I think they could actually excel in. Ryan Watts is probably the least athletic about of that DB room, but with a heavy rotation of Terrence Brooks, Malik Muhammad, Gavin Holmes, and Ryan Watts, I feel like Texas could still throw out a really solid defensive back room with Jalen Catalan and Jaron Thompson also in the mix. Jaron Thompson's a guy who could play closer to the line of scrimmage, is kind of a, he could man up a tight end while also playing the run game a little bit. So overall, I feel like this Texas defense could stack up really well to Alabama if, and this is a big if, the defensive line can kind of hold court with the Alabama offensive line and not let them get a huge push and let guys like David Benda and Jalen Ford clean up in the run game. That's going to be the biggest question mark for the Texas defense. And I think Texas can actually do a good job there. I I envision this to be a really, really low scoring game. As for the Texas offense and how they attack this Alabama defense, it is going to be really, really tough. This Alabama defense is one of the best units that they've had um, in a few seasons now. I mean, they bring in defensive tackle, Jaheim Otis, who is just an absolute run plugger, huge, huge, massive human being. Alongside him is defensive lineman Tim Smith, who is solid, you know, not, not a world beater, and Tim Keenan as well, also not so much of a world beater, but with Jaheim Otis there in the middle plugging up the run lanes, and then you still have two incredible edge rushers in Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, both of which are good against the run and incredible pass rushers. I do feel good about the Texas tackles. Like I mentioned, Kelvin Banks and Christian Jones, as long as Nick Saban doesn't get too kind of cute with it is lack of a better term. And if Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell just line up and attack Kelvin Banks and Christian Jones, I think Texas is going to win those battles more often than not, especially if Steve Sarkeesian continues to lean on RPO quick passing game. I feel like that's a way to neutralize these edge rushers, but if Nick Saban is, you know, kind of what I think Nick Saban is going to do is use Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell in stunts with the defensive linemen. Like I said, these defensive linemen are are pretty good, but they're not world beaters like we've seen Alabama have in the past, in my opinion, Um, at least not yet. Um, So if we see kind of Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell attack the interior of this 
offensive line and make these offensive linemen pass them off and communicate during the plays, I think that Texas is going to have a really, really tough time kind of getting their offense going in the intermediate and deep passing game. So that is going to be a huge question mark. Can I? Do I think that Texas can straight up run on this Alabama um, defense? I I don't, honestly. I, I mentioned Jaheim Otis a couple times, but Alabama has two new linebackers, but both of them seemingly played really, really well in week one with Deontay Lawson uh, and Tresman Marshall, both of which played pretty well in week one and definitely well enough for me to kind of pump the brakes on if I think this offensive line can get the better of them because like I said, this Texas offensive line, specifically the interior offensive line, really, really disappointed me in week one against Rice. So I think this Alabama front seven does have the advantage over Texas. Now where Texas can kind of make their killing is with their wide receivers and their pass catchers because Alabama does have a good defensive back room headlined by Kool-Aid McKinstry, who is going to be a first-round pick next year, could be in the top 10, depending on the kind of season he has. He only takes up one guy, though, and Texas has a few. Um, Obviously, I mentioned it, but Xavier Worthy looks to be back to his freshman self, but we also have A.D. Mitchell, Jatavion Sanders, Jordan Whittington, all three, all four of these guys can really impact Texas and get yards after the catch, can make plays after they get the ball in their hands. So what I'm basically getting at is if Texas has a chance at winning, they're going to need to lean on the quick passing game and the intermediate passing game. And this offensive line is going to have to hold up just enough to kind of neutralize this Alabama pass rush and absolutely neutralize these edge rushers in Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell because like I mentioned, I mean, those are two guys who I feel good about our tackles going against them. Maybe not every single play without help, but consistently I feel like we're going to lose some of those battles, but we're going to win a lot of them as well. That's just the nature of the game. But when Nick Saban starts using stunts and different formations to get Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell matchups against our interior offensive line, I think that's where Alabama's really going to start killing this Texas offense. So those are kind of my quick thoughts on the game and how I see Texas stacking up. Overall, it comes down to Quinn Ewers, though. If Quinn Ewers plays like he did last year, Texas is going to win this game, and I think by a comfortable margin. But if he doesn't, if he kind of plays like he did in week one and this offensive line plays like they did in week one, Texas is going to have a tough time uh, in Tuscaloosa. I mean, I do believe that this Texas defense is going to consistently be great. But if this Texas offense can't get going, eventually just Alabama hammering at this Texas defense the dam's going to break. This Texas defense isn't going to be able to hold Alabama to 20 or 13 points for an entire game if the Texas offense isn't moving the ball and kind of giving them some, you know, 
one, just a break in general, but also just some momentum on the road against, obviously, one of the best programs that we'll probably ever see. Uh, just an incredible dynasty that that Alabama has had. And these fans are going to be up and they're going to be rowdy. It is probably the biggest game of week two easily. Uh, and it's probably the biggest game in Tuscaloosa in a really, really long time. Going into this year, Alabama had a ton of question marks. I mean, they lose superstar, number one overall quarterback, Bryce Young, and they bring in completely unknown quantities. And Jalen Milrow, who the only time we saw him, he really struggled. And Ty Simpson, who's a five-star but never played. And after the spring, they bring in Tyler Buckner, who played at Notre Dame but didn't play well. So Alabama had a ton of question marks there. On the defensive side of the ball, I always had a suspicion that Alabama was going to go back to the old Alabama, the early 2010s Alabama, where they just pounded the ball. uh, And then on defense, they just absolutely suffocated you. I call it kind of like a boa constrictor. I don't know where I got that term from. I absolutely am not taking credit for it because I am not that creative, but it's basically Alabama was like a boa constrictor, almost like Georgia is right now where the offense isn't great, but they can run the ball on you all day. Um, The offensive line can push you, even if the running backs aren't making explosive plays themselves. The offensive line does just enough to get the ball and churn out first downs. And the defense just absolutely suffocates the opposing offense enough to make the opposing defense tired. And eventually, like I mentioned with Alabama and the Texas defense, the dam will break um, if the offense doesn't get going. So that is the boa constrictor type of model. And it's something that Alabama looks like that they're going to be able to do really, really well. The only way Texas can really counter it is elite quarterback play, in my opinion, because they're not going to be able to run the ball consistently, and they might be able to quick pass their way out of it, but a couple inaccurate throws from Quinn Ewers, and and you're out, you know? I mean, just look at the first series against Rice. That, that could easily happen against Alabama. I would say it's more likely than, than against Rice, obviously, so... Really interesting to see here. It all comes down to Quinn Ewers, though. I do think this Texas defense is going to come in and play. If if I'm going to bet this and I don't have the lines in front of me, this is really bad preparation by me, and I apologize for that. But take the first half under because unless this Texas offense uh, hits it, I don't think this Alabama offense is going to hit it against Texas. So, Take the first half under in this game if you don't want to bet anything else. I completely agree with you there. But first half under is what I would hammer because I have a feeling that this is going to be just body punches all day long. And it's going to be whichever defense breaks first. And I just have a bad feeling it's going to be Texas's defense. But we're going to stay positive because, again, Quinn Ewers. He just needs to find what he had last year. And even if he doesn't, there's still an outside chance that A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jatavion Sanders, Jordan Whittington, that these playmakers do enough with 
the intermediate and short passing game, they just do enough with the ball in their hands as yards after catch players, and they're able to kind of make explosive plays that way. Overall, though, I think this is going to be an incredible game. Absolutely cannot wait to see it, and definitely can't wait to talk about it again next week. For that, I think that's it for this week. Uh, I will be back with a Big Bats podcast, probably dropping on Friday or Saturday morning again. Um, We didn't do great week one, but if I'm being completely honest, I don't think any betting podcast that handicapped this week did well. So going one for three, I can live with that. I feel like we learned a ton. You know, we went, uh, we lost two, but we learned from both of them. So very, very excited to get that out. But all right, that will do it. Thank you all for listening. As always, hook them.